Hello and welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're at home, on your way to work, or at the gym, we hope you enjoy this episode. And a special welcome to our Crux Club Early Access members. You can learn more about that at crux-club.com. Enjoy the podcast. Hey, Jeff, how are you, sir? Doing great, Matt. Good to be with you again. Uh, this time you get a different view of my house this time. Uh, <laughs> I like it. I like it. I'll know every square foot. Uh, enough interviews here. Well, it seems like yesterday. It seems like yesterday, and it almost was. But the world of uranium is fast moving at the moment. There's a lot going on. We had an announcement today by Secretary Briet uh, about what the US government intends to do with the nuclear fuel working group and its plans to move uh, America's nuclear cycle forward. So what's your reading of what you heard today? Well, so far, let me say that uh, I think that uh, we we like everything that we see in the report. And as I suggested to you the last time that we spoke, I had confidence that we would actually see this report this week because we knew that they were taking a very much a holistic approach. That was actually quite an understatement when I made that. Uh, and when you when you think about actually how all encompassing this working group report is covering every every nook and cranny in the nuclear fuel cycle. It is not just a holistic approach. It is a massive undertaking uh, from a geopolitical standpoint. And uh, they are endeavoring here to build out a nuclear industrial base that will compete for many decades to come. And it's coming, of course, none too soon. Well, they, they made some pretty big plays today in this document. I, I Look, I think the market has reacted negatively to this. So I want to understand from you why you're pleased with it, okay? The big things I saw were attacking the Russians and the Chinese nuclear complex head on. There are big plans afoot, right? And that is easier said than done, right? So, so I think I thought you know congratulate them on that. But ultimately, I do want to you know bring this back to what does it mean for you? Um, but let's let's keep it at sort of helicopter level for now. Do you think the U.S. government is just grandstanding in an election year, or are they serious about this? No, I think they're serious about this. And and look, it's uh, it's it's it, it it's not grandstanding in an election year. And the reason I am absolutely convinced of that is that. We have been saying this for two and a half years now. We said it we, we, as often and as, as strongly as we could possibly state it through the entire 232 process that we were losing our seat at the table. We were ceding the nuclear uh, fuel cycle and we were ceding that seat at the table and our influence not only geopolitically when it comes to all things nuclear, but as our as the primary deterrent we acting as the primary deterrent to nuclear proliferation, we're ceding all that to the Russians and the Chinese. So it gives me a great deal of confidence that they are addressing both of those uh, those two countries, specifically in this report, and talking about very specific means by which they intend to address it. So I think that they're very serious, and uh, the devil's, of course, in the details. And I think, unfortunately, the investors we saw Big movement up this morning, followed by big movement down on massive volume. And I think it was because it was short of detail. So this is this is a very important first step. And, and frankly, yeah, we would have loved it if it would have come out when it was first delivered to the White House in November. And had it been delivered at that time, 
I think that we'd be much further along in this process, but unfortunately, impeachment and COVID-19 came in between. Okay. Well, let, look, let, let's let's not get stuck in the kind of macro component of this, because this is, you know, hundreds of billions of dollars of investment, I think, that the U.S. government is talking about, and they will need to get get down to the detail. But let's, let's talk about what it means for uranium miners, okay? Yourself, uh, along with Energy Fuels, were the petitioners of the Section 232. Um, you put yourself at the front of the queue uh, to with with your hand out and saying, right. So, what are they going to do for us? So, what was your reading on what are they going to do for U.S. uranium miners? Well, I like it because one of the things that the working group report stated emphatically right at the outset of the report was is that they had to start at the beginning. In other words, a ground up approach. And what they meant by that and what they stated was. It has to begin with the uranium miners, followed by conversion, followed by enrichment in successive following years. And so we know that uh, they're going to be addressing that immediately. Now, one of the things I think that frustrated investors was they said that they they pointed out they pointed to the line item of one hundred and fifty million dollars that would go into uh, rebuilding inventories in the United States and that that would begin in 2020. Well, then it begs the question. When in 2020? Is that immediately? Is that three months from now? Is that six months from now? Does that mean that they may come in and buy our inventories, which would give us obviously immediate relief? And we have spoken to them about that very topic. So we end uh, this morning in um, a question and answer period. Uh, Energy Secretary Burlett did emphasize that uh, that he would be inclusive of other players to the extent that he felt that they were actually capable of production. So I think that there is a desire there to to rebuild the miners. They know that they're losing uh, critical infrastructure. Uh, that is something that we pointed out as strongly as we could over the last several months. But in addition to that, we're more importantly, we're losing critical human capital. We're losing the expertise. And if we don't preserve that, it, you could give me a year to start up. If I can't find the guys that know what they're doing, I've got to train them from the ground up. That's that's a difficult undertaking. And then you're doubling your startup time. Okay, so previously they've talked about this 150 million bucks a year for 10 years. Okay. Um, this report doesn't talk about dollars. It doesn't talk about numbers. It doesn't talk about timing. It, the only thing it kind of gives us a clue about is we will directly purchase uranium by establishing a uranium reserve. What do you think that means? What that means is that they also go on in the report to state that uh, from a military standpoint and from the Department of Defense, that they have low enriched uranium that will last them to 2041. And that, and that is used, of course, in tritium. And so that goes directly into nuclear weaponry. And that they have highly enriched uranium, which would fuel the nuclear fleet. Uh, and they made it clear that the uranium reserve that they were building would not only be used for those purposes. And, and by the way, it's important to emphasize that in order to be used for military purposes, it all must be sourced in the United States. The, the uranium must be mined here, the conversion, the enrichment, the fabrication, all done in the United States or it doesn't qualify as unobligated. In other words, it can be used for military purposes. So they made it very clear that they wanted to be certain that they were building an inventory that was also a fallback position 
in case there was a disruption of delivery of supply to the United States utilities so that it could be used for commercial backup as well. And I, so it's covering a lot of 15 to 19 million pounds over a 10 year period is just the beginning because it doesn't come near it, it close to covering those types of requirements. And there have been, there have been discussions in the past where people were mooting that the US government would buy ore, uranium ore, unprocessed. Do you think that's realistic from what you've seen today? Well, they won't buy ore, you mean unprocessed as in conventional? No. But will they buy U-308 that we drum out at Lost Creek? Absolutely. And that and that exactly that is exactly the inventory that they are looking to build, in addition to conversion, by the way. And so they have to have both. And I, I think that, uh, you know, we're prepared, of course, to ramp up at, at Lost Creek. We have stated this, that for as little as $15 million, I can be at a one million pound per year run rate in as little as six to eight months. So uh, we stand ready. We've preserved our operational staff. And this is exactly what the federal government will be looking at when they determine who they should hand contracts to. There's two of us, as you've pointed out, ourselves and Energy Fuels, We've spearheaded this thing for more than two years, now two and a half years. Uh, I like to think that that puts us in a front running position. And I think that, uh, look, the, the people at Department of Defense and Energy, they don't, they want pounds, they don't want promises. And we can provide them pounds. Okay, so looking forward, there's a process to deliver all of the detail. Are you gonna be involved in that process? How are you feeding into that process? Because I think the thing that people wanna understand, and you bang this number out a lot, Tim Gitzel's bang this number out a lot, you guys need 60 bucks a pound. Do they, does the US government, Department of Energy, Minister uh, sorry, um, Briette, does he understand that? I think he does. And um, by the way, we've had Second. these conversations before he was Secretary Briette. And while he was with Department of Energy, so actually we've had these conversations directly with him. And the thing that I think needs to be emphasized is that, is that a price that we that we absolutely need or would, if we were at a full-on run rate and, and fully maximizing our economies of scale? Well, no. But when you're on care and maintenance and you have to spend capex to ramp up, you have to explore and develop to replace uh, resources that you're now uh, producing, and you have to provide a reasonable rate of return to your shareholders, then yes, you have to have those that type of pricing. I think that the Secretary of Energy is fully aware of that. And the, to answer your question, will we be engaged in that process? The fact is, is that yes, in the days ahead, I have conference calls with agencies, commerce, energy. Defense doesn't take calls from us anymore. They once they feel that they they know everything, they don't want to talk to you. Anymore. But when they're gathering data, get in here if we need to talk to you. So, by the way, you can also check your sense of humor at the door if they have them. So, but they're uh, they're a good group of guys. They understand that what needs to be done here, and I think that's well reflected in the report. So that is one of the things that does that does excite me, and I think that they've done a great job of expressing. And I'm talking about defense here now and energy expressing their very serious concerns here because they are losing a geopolitical race that they just can't afford to lose. Well, let's talk about that. Russian suspension agreement. There's two, two trains of thoughts. One, <clears throat> cut them off. Two, gradually cut, you know, reduce the amount, you know, go from 20, 15, 10, 5, 0. Where are you? There are a lot of, okay, there's 
in the last week, there have been a number of developments on that front. First of all, let's start off by saying that this is a program that has been in place that came about as a result of the trade action in 1992. So it's been in place for 28 years. It sunsets, it expires at the end of this year on December 31st. We believe that it is absolutely in the Russians' best interest if they want to continue to have the kind of access that they have to our marketplace, which is right now, currently 20% of domestic consumption, then they need to renew the agreement. As far as the first option in terms of just cutting it off, there are certainly people who would advocate for that, including high-powered members of Congress. Politically, let's be honest, it's untenable. It's not going to happen. What's going to happen is that we are going to see a renewed RSA agreement, but as you've seen in the working group report, it is very straightforward in calling for a cap. Not only do they believe that the 20% is something maybe we can continue on with, but they'd like to see that dependency reduced over time and a cap put in place. In addition to that, it should be noted that uh, Senators Barrasso uh, out of Wyoming, Republican, and Democratic Senator Heinrich out of New Mexico um, released a draft of a um, piece of legislation that they are preparing to submit to Congress that would reduce the Russian uh, imports into our country to 15% and have them steadily decline after that. So I think what you're gonna find here is because of the working group being so emphatic on this point and because of Senators Barrasso and Heinrich's legislation that will soon be pending, I think that this will give the Russians strong incentive to work out an arrangement that is suitable to them and do it sooner rather than later. Where we stand on that and where we come into play on that is that if you're a uranium producer or a converter, you have to remember what the Russians want to do is that they want to provide enrichment to the United States utilities. That's where they make their money. But what happens is, is that there are component feedstocks that go into that in the form of U-308 and UF-6. So what we are saying is that, great guys, let's renew an agreement here. Let's get one on the books and let's extend it for another 10 years, 20 if you'd like, but we need to make sure that we are taken into consideration in terms of those component parts. So if there is feedstock that goes into that 20% that you're gonna provide of US consumption, then you need we need to make sure that our interests are provided for. And I think the Department of Commerce is very sympathetic to that and realize that there needs to be a U.S. feedstock component on both the uh, U, uh, U308 level, us, U, yellow cake, and at the conversion level, Converdine. So uh, I think that uh, the Russian suspension agreement is very much a part of the working group here. And as we talked about in our last conversation, it's part of that holistic approach, but it's a very vital component. Are you advocating a bifurcated market in terms of pricing there? That could very well be the case. And, and uh, I'm not going to, I won't say it now, if we had the 232 and the quota had gone into effect, we know that would have resulted in a bifurcated market. Here, we're seeing uranium prices rise. Uh, they're currently at $33, and that's up from $24 just, uh, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago. So we've had a 30, 35% increase in the price of uranium. Will it rise enough that it will do a lot of good for guys outside the United States, some of the foreign uh, explorers, some of the large scale explorers? Uh, that I don't know, whether or not there'll be a bifurcated market, because remember, the action that's being taken here is government action. 
and that is not dependent on the commercial marketplace or the domestic or the global quotes for U308 or UF6 or even enrichment. Okay, I guess you guys are going to need to get into the detail. And I guess us guys in the market are going to wait for that detail. Um, last question, because I know you've been on a lot of calls and you're going to be on a lot of calls today. Last question. We've seen the price of uranium, spot price of uranium, recover over the past few weeks. And that's been a case of some big, big calls by Cigar Lake, Zatam Prom, COVID-19 affecting production all around the world. That That's well understood now. Do you think today's announcement or lack of detail in this announcement is going to affect that growth in the spot price? You know what? It's hard to say. And I, I'm, I'm anxious to see the close just as you are on, on uranium spot price today. But the fact is, is that I don't think that it has immediate impact. What has far more impact is the supply destruction that you described. With that supply destruction, 46 million pounds have come out of the market in the last 30 days. I mean, that's 35% of primary production. So, you know, will we? everybody will benefit from, you know, all boats will rise with that rising tide if that spot price keeps rising. And the last time that spot was at $40, our stock was at $2.40. So, uh, yes, no one wants a higher uh, spot price more than we do. I think that we're finally getting to a point, and there's even word that uh, Olympic Dam may shut down in Australia. So you would have eight of the 10 largest primary producers of uranium on the planet shut in. Um, the utilities have got to be taking note of that. We have seen more RFPs come from them, seen four since the beginning of the year that have come to me directly. I've answered all of them. I think we're going to see many more. They've been consuming their own inventories. I think they and their public utility commissions in particular are realizing that's unsustainable. You can't do that. You can't. I mean, you, you're burning your furniture for firewood. They're getting now to the point where they're down below two years of reserves in the way they measure it. That's uh, that's a pretty dicey position for a utility to allow themselves to be placed in. So I can't answer that whether or not we'll continue to see a sustained higher price. I do believe that with the supply that's come out of the market, I think that's good for probably $35 a pound or better. And I think that if uh, Olympic Dam were to come off and, or if the Kazakhs were to come out and actually extend their shutdown, which of course has more than a 40% producer of primary production, that will be a, probably more of a determinant, but the supply demand fundamentals are absolutely reasserting themselves in the marketplace. But our concern for now is that all of the things taking place at the on the domestic basis with the federal government, and we stand ready to ramp up and deliver into those requirements. <clears throat> My big objective, and I can assure you the objective of our good friends over at Energy Fuels, is to secure contracts before the end of the year, make sure that we uh, that our long-suffering shareholders are provided for and that we give them and show them a viable company for the next 10 years, not just uh, on a personal level or on a corporate level, but this has to happen from a national security standpoint. So for the working group to emphasize that as strongly as they did in their report, uh, I was very gratified to see that. And as I said, as much as we've been saying all these things and really pounding the table over the last couple of years, we weren't certain anybody was listening, but to see it now all in writing is very gratifying. And I do think that it's a serious effort and uh, we will be working closely with all relevant parties, whether that's members of Congress or the agencies engaged in the working group 
and the, and the White House itself, which, by the way, has asked us for information on a couple of occasions leading up to this. So we provide them with information when asked, and we will continue to do so, but we will be front and center in this process. Okay, Jeff, um, I think, th thank you for that. What I'm hearing is believe in the supply demand fundamentals and it's disappointing as today's announcement was in terms of detail it suggests a big move by the u.s government to get back into the nuclear fuel cycle globally well again i would restate what i said from the outset they state at in the conclusion of their of this document that they are doing nothing less than building a uranium industrial base very similar to our defense industrial base that's a massive undertaking we've let it deteriorate we're starting a hundred yard dash 10 yards in arrears we have the technology we have to rebuild the technology <clears throat> but the big issue here is that you've got the russians and the chinese going out there and building hundred year relationships with countries when they build out nuclear reactors for them so we cannot afford to let them enter into these type of relationships uncontested without putting our own hat in the ring and making sure that we have a seat at the nuclear table. And besides that, I mean, let's face it. I mean, we are the primary deterrent to nuclear proliferation. That's always been our role. We've got to continue in that role. It's absolutely imperative, not only to us as a country, but to the free world. So it's nothing that's a charge we don't take away. Okay. And sorry, I, I always say this one last question, one last question. <laughs> <laughs> the last question is, what is the next announcement going to be for the U.S. government and when? I think what happens next is that they will specify what happens and what they meant by this begins in 2020. And we will, by the way, uh, on our uh, conference calls that we have over the next couple of days, you can believe that you better believe that that is going to be uh, one of the primary topics of conversation. Guys, what do you mean by 2020? Will you buy my, we have inventories. Will you buy my inventories right now because that extends my runway? Then you can take a little longer to work on some of these things. Doesn't bother me because I'm safe and secure. We've got good runway anyway, as does our, our partner company, uh, Energy Fuel. So I think we both feel fairly secure in that. And I think we're in better position than any other players out there in the marketplace. But I think what comes next is that we have to get, to we have to find out what is meant by 2020 when we can expect that. And I'd like an answer to that, frankly, in the next 30 days, if we could get that, I think that we're golden. And, uh, you know, that's exactly what we're hoping for. And then beyond that, uh, we need clarification on when they would be prepared to enter into contracts. And there's just one more thing that I would emphasize to your listeners. And that is that there has been put forward the suggestion that <clears throat> this is such an imperative that this 150 over a 10 year period of time is not something that we should wait to play out through the budget process because we're not going to see any conclusion to that until the end of the year. But rather, it should be brought forward and made part of the stimulus packages that are in play right now. We will certainly be pressing for that. Jeff, you're a star. Uh, I look forward to some updates from you next week, no doubt, the way things are moving. Let's hope. Matt, see. thank you so much. Appreciate the venue. Thanks so much.